from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 458. Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN and Uni Pizza Ovens. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike. We're like less than a month away now from WWDC. I feel like it's all slotting into place. Yep. I don't know. There's something, uh, it's been all kind of amorphous up to now, but mm-hmm. now suddenly I feel like, you know, it's, it's, Next week we do this, and next week we do that, and yep. then the week after we do this, and like it's it's all kind of forming now. It's more real now, I think. It's coming. Yeah. But tradition remains, and I have a snow talk mm. question for you. It comes from Ramona, who wants to know, Jason, which are your favorite pizza toppings, and do you like to eat <laughs> pizza crust? Did we... Have we not covered this? Oh, of course we have, but like, well, you think everyone that's listening now has been listening for the last five years? That's not how this works. People dip back into the archive for yeah. the pizza supercut that we should make now about look, all of our conversations change. about pizza. You could have changed. Your topping choices could have changed. Mm. People do change, but my pizza preferences remain the same. Pepperoni's always been my favorite pizza topping. Easy. Yep. Always. Always been. Which is funny because like my kids, uh, especially my son, is like cheese pizza. He doesn't want any toppings on it at all, which I don't understand at all. But as a kid, you know, really, I think you're offered two kinds of pizza. It's a little more sophisticated today. But back when I was a kid, there were two kinds of pizza, cheese pizza and pepperoni pizza. And you could order special of stuff. But like if you're getting something for kids or you're just getting a slice, your choices are cheese or pepperoni. Those are the choices. And I always liked the pepperoni. I thought that was great. So uh, in college. You experiment as you do, right? In college, it's a it's a time in your young life when you're like, let's try new things, let's try different things, uh, see how put different things inside our bodies and see how it makes us feel. Oh my god! And for whatever reason, while working at the just let it go, Mike, working at the uh, college newspaper, we would end up ordering pizza late because we were hungry and working all evening on the newspaper into like the early hours of the morning. And it was out of there that, and I don't know who ordered it or if I ordered it and thought it was a funny thing. I think somebody must have ordered it and I just had it. Somebody had a pepperoni with pineapple on it. And again, formative moments in my young life. I had the pepperoni with the pineapple. You got the salty, slightly slightly spicy pepperoni. Mm-hmm. And you got that sweet pineapple flavor. The good texture of cooked pineapple too. I feel like. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was a changed man, Mike. Yep. That was the end of it. So yep. since then, pepperoni and pineapple, which which is funny because I did not, it wasn't like I had a Hawaiian pizza and said, you know, this Canadian bacon on here, this ham uh, would be better if it was pineapple or if it would be better if it was pepperoni. I, that's not how I came to it. Maybe the person who ordered it came to it that way. Or maybe the Domino's pizza we ordered from did not have <laughs> uh, Canadian bacon. Regardless, uh, it's a. It became my favorite, so yeah. now I, that, that's what I get. I like other kinds of pizza, though. I will say, barbecue chicken pizza is really good. I know that there's some people out there, John Syracuse, who scoff at barbecue chicken pizza. I I kind of love it. We were visiting Salt Lake City uh, on our way to the eclipse a few years ago. Uh, we did a road trip to Idaho to see the eclipse, and um, we ate at a. It was like a underground pizza bar place uh that i think it was the summer so there was not very many people there but i think uh university of utah uh people go to there so it's like a college pizza place 
and they had a barbecue chicken pizza with gouda, with smoked gouda on it, Damn. was maybe the best pizza I've ever had. Okay. Like it was amazing. So runner up, uh, barbecue chicken pizza. And if you're in Salt Lake City, find that college pizza dive because oh my god, it was great. Do you eat the crust? Crust strategy. Uh, yeah, I like the crust. Yeah. Depends on how much I'm eating. If uh, I'm ordering, it also depends if, on the quality of the pizza. And yeah, sure, right. I mean, lousy crust is lousy. Yeah. Um, there are times when I will like we we will order a pizza and it's nice and hot now and we're probably not going to take it home or it's like it's personal sized enough that whatever is left you're not going to take home and I will then I, I will often prioritize the non crust parts. <laughs> Because it'll be like, well, I'm going to fill up on crust, and I'd rather have more of the cheese and sauce, please. So it varies. Um, at home, Lauren frequently doesn't eat the crust, and occasionally, if it's a particularly good dough that I have made, I will eat her crust because yep. that's real good crust, and I'm not going for another piece. That's husband's prerogative, man. That's what you get. Yeah, exactly. It's I made that crust, and now I take it back, and I'm going to eat it. Uh, so yeah, yeah, sure. Sometimes, sometimes not. If you're not, if if I'm not hungry enough and I, I like the cheese the pizza itself is is uh filling enough then uh the crust is the first to go i'll put it that way it's optional okay. but i do like it long time listeners will know that i have always been a fan of pepperoni too and you turn me onto the ways of pineapple pepperoni which mm. i think is the perfect combo for a pizza uh i will say the thing that has changed in my life is if you know if something like pineapple is not available to you or you want to try something different spicy honey Serves a lot of the like. Oh, interesting. The flavor balancing for pepperoni. So like pepperoni with like a spicy honey. It's very good because it adds a bit of sweet and also adds a bit of spice. So I'll add that in there too. Hot honey. A little hot honey. Yeah, the hot honey trend. It's very trendy. The hot honey. But for good um, reason. I get it. I get it. I love honey. Also, so that might be an interesting way to do it. I'll I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I don't know if I've seen a pizza place here that offers hot honey as a as an option. I should say. I I eat other kinds of pizzas. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I mean, I don't mind oh, yeah. mushrooms, and I don't mind uh, uh, onions, and I don't mind peppers, and like I don't mind other pe- toppings. But I'm never going to prioritize them. I'll have them right if like well we we just got this pizza that's mushroom and onion. I'll be like okay, like fine, but I'd, I I I would not choose that. If you're you know you're the pizza elder, you're gonna you're gonna make the decision. Pineapple pepperoni. Right. Well, I mean, it depends. Yeah. Right. Do you get one of the beautiful things about pizza is in most settings, you choose what your pizza is, right? It's only if you're like ordering a slice from a limited supply or if you're like at an event or something where they have pizza and it's already been pre-selected for you, for you like to choose the kinds. And it's similar to having a slice where it's like, sorry, buddy, these are the kinds of pizza we've got. Then, you know, you compromise. I would like to thank Ramon for... Sending in this question. It's a good question. I think question. it's Ramon, according to the uh, Ramon? our show document. I think you've said Ramona and Roman. No, I said I said Ramon the first time, and it sounded like I or Ramon, and it sounded like I added an A, but that was an right. unintentional was just an, sound uh, that my mouth made. Just to be clear, thank Ramon. you, Ramon, and also real time follow up from Dan Moran reporting that the pepper the he has a a pizza place near him that has pepperoni and hot honey. So it has penetrated into the United States. If it, you know, if it's not here already, it will reach me soon. The first place I ever tried this combo was in Portland. Oh, of course it was. Well, all right, then I'll, I'll look for it. I'll keep an eye on it. But if there's pineapple, I'm going to choose that instead. 
So thank you to Raymond for sending in. Thank I'm just covering all bases at this point, Jason. Okay. Uh, so sending in their question, you can send in a question of your own by going to upgradefeedback.com and send us a snow talk question to open a future episode of the show. I have quite a bit of follow up today. I have a lot of interesting nice. things that people have written into us via the same feedback form. Upgradefeedback.com. We love, we love it. We love it. I actually have some snow talk feedback. Mm-hmm. David writes in and says, 160 degrees? Four question marks. Four question marks. Does Jason have heat shielding in his mouth? Maybe. My ember mug has a maximum temperature of 145 degrees. Has Jason jailbroken <laughs> his mug to allow hotter temperatures? What is happening here? So last week's okay. snow talk question, I asked Jason what his preferred uh, temperature was for his tea, and Jason said 160 degrees. Yes. I, I don't know about heat shielding. Is that what the is that what the inside of your mouth is not meant to be is heat shielding? 160 degrees for me is fine. Um it's a little bit on the hot side, but the thing is, uh it doesn't stay there very long. And I think David is right here. I didn't check, but I I now have a memory of finding my ideal temperature because the ember mug prompted me to find it. And I found it, and then I found out that the ember mug doesn't go that high, so I set it to as high as the ember mug goes. Right. So when I serve myself at 160, what I'm basically getting is I can drink it then, and it's really nice and piping hot, but then the ember mug won't let it go too far away from that, whatever that high, high point is, if it's 145. And it's not as good. At 145, then it is at 160. But the Ember mug, I mean, like I've got half a cup right now. And if I were not using the Ember mug, it would probably be unpleasantly cool. And instead, it's pretty warm. Yeah. Joe wrote in and said, Jason asked if watchOS 10 widgets will update without the paired iPhone in range. So the idea of if the widgets get added to the watch, uh, Mm. would we have to keep them together to get that information? Right. Because that's an issue with some current watch stuff. Yes. Joe said, probably this will be the case because since watchOS 9, widget kit complications can make network calls and update without an iPhone. So that was one of the things that changed when they went from watch kit to widget kit. He says, and regarding stale complication data, so the information being out of date, widget kit complications vastly improve this because they can make updates themselves. Clock kit complications relied on the app waking in the background to refresh, which would lead to stale data when it failed. Widget Kit has been a big improvement to watchOS, and I look forward to see what's next. Uh, I'm, I just uh, swiped to my watch, and mm-hmm. I uh, am looking at the weather, which is coming from Carrot Weather. And what it is telling me... Uh, there it did. Okay, it did update. I swiped over from a different face, and it did update. It was telling me the, the weather the last time that face was on. Mm-hmm. And then after about 20 seconds, it updated. So that's good. That's that's not bad. That's, that's what I want, right? Is I, I just wanted to make an effort to stay updated. So this is great news um, that Widget Kit's already kind of doing this. And the idea, I mean, Apple has been trying very hard to get the watch to stand alone and do things itself because that's what you want, right? You want to be able to set up your watch using your iPhone if need be. And then if you've got a cellular model, walk away and stay still have everything work. That's the goal here. So I hope that, uh, I hope it continues because I love having that stuff on there. And my biggest frustration with my Apple Watch is when stuff doesn't update, especially when those complications don't update. It's very frustrating. Yeah, so I guess the hope would be that Widget Kit made a bunch of these things better 
mm-hmm. just kind of not a fundamental layer. And you would hope that if they're continuing to push in that direction where it's like it's actual widgets now, maybe it would have gotten even better, right? Like this is just yeah, like exactly. this, the pathway is towards more and more independent data gathering from the watch and uh, more reliable updating. Yeah, in fact, I think what we could probably say is watchOS has been on a path in this direction, but it's it's got there's a bunch of sort of uh, technical debt or, or, or legacy tech, technical stuff yep. where there's stuff that's just kind of like from back in the day, if not the original Apple Watch from early in the Apple Watch, where it was so dependent on the iPhone. And new stuff is pushing the platform in this direction which i think is great like again this is this is what i'm sure apple wants to but the problem is you've got older apps and things kicking around in the system that uh, maybe preclude some of this so when we look at reports that say watch os 10 is going to be much more widget forward the encouraging way to look at that is by sweeping away the old stuff but really by bringing the new stuff front and center you're also motivating every app developer to update. And if all of those widgets are self-updating and can reach out over the network and pull their data and don't have to rely on their app, then the net result is going to be that Watch OS doesn't have to rely on the apps on the phone either. And the more of that, the better. So, you know, I'm just I'm just a little hesitant only because I've been using an Apple Watch since the beginning and it has been a, a painful process some of the time in terms of data not getting you know data getting yeah. stale on the watch but i'm hopeful that this is gonna is gonna do that i'm really i mean it's funny mike you know we go years where we're like yeah and watch os i guess i'll get an update whatever and we've spent the last few weeks really kind of like uh nerding out on on watch os but i think for good reason that this is really encouraging news of uh a rethink of parts of watch os and i can't wait to see it and like and i hope that or my expectation might be stuff like this might get better because they don't they're supporting more modern watches now, right? If they've been able yeah. to start letting go some, like the Series Three, for example, maybe there was some constraints with watchOS just because of battery life concerns. That, like, if you're constantly sure. refreshing information, it's going to kill the battery. So, also, WidgetKit is a is something that should be familiar to a lot of developers because they're also using it on iOS. Yeah, and so that's another one of those examples of Apple. Again, they have to do it. Right, because they can't invent a new API for everything. They really can't. They have to like reuse things in different places. But it's also a huge advantage because they'll be like, "Oh, widgets on Apple Watch," and everybody who's built widgets on iOS should go, "Oh, yeah, okay, you know great." How to do it, yeah. I got a piece, of, a couple of pieces of anonymous feedback. Some some tips. From tips from is tips. This from the, is this? I was listening to Connected last yeah. week and was surprised to discover that the Mike Hurley, <laughs> the Mike Hurley secret double secret tip line had yep. been established. And I have received two more pieces of anonymous feedback via the Mike Hurley tip line. Uh, you could just get in contact with me, find a way, you know? That's, that's what these two people did. Enterprising individuals. will also work. It it's will fine. also work. And that, there is also possible to give anonymous feedback. But these people... Do we need are... to create like a signal account for the show? Can you even do that? I don't, I don't know, know if you can. I think it's well, the thing about these two pieces of feedback is I know who these two people are, but they are submitting oh, anonymously. Right? You're, you're keeping... You're, they're your anonymous sources. My, Known to you, but anonymous to us. They're my informants. And, okay, uh, good. So informant number one wrote in to say, Mm -hmm. in regards to the journal app being closer in kind to find my rather than, remember we were saying about like, oh, it's not a social network, the journaling app, or it's more like in the find my department or something that Mark was talking about uh, and talking about what capabilities it may have. 
Your devices already track which people you have close by to you, regardless of whether you're sharing Find My with them. This happens through a system called Report or Rapport. R-A-P-P-O-R-T, rapport, right? Yeah, it's French-like. Yeah. Rapport, rapport. rapport. The underlying protocol used for many things, such as continuity, handoff, and airplay. Currently, it can detect when a contact's device is nearby, but it doesn't do anything with that information unless you activate AirDrop. It's completely local and relies on blow, a Bluetooth low energy and or Wi-Fi. And I confirm with this person that this is how, you know, if you're in somebody's home and you want to get on their Wi-Fi, and the, right. you get the Wi-Fi network password sharing, it works through this rapport system. Mm. So the idea, you know, like we were talking about, well, would I have to ha- have all of my friends on Find My to see them in the journal app? In theory, they could do this. Ah. So like, you know, maybe I'm not friends with uh, Bob and Mary and Alex, right? Like we're not in Find My together. But if we're hanging out, our phones will know that we were together because we share contact information. So maybe that is a way that it, I would then be able to add like, oh, I was with Bob and Mary and Alex today at the park to my job. And I would assume that would end up being like an opt-in thing of like share your proximity information with other people in your contacts list or something like that. Well, maybe, uh, but it's already doing it and we didn't opt into it. Well, but yeah, it, but it's the, it's the logging part of it that, yeah, would, be the the thing that would really part. require yep. that, right? Mm-hmm. Because then, then it's, then you're... I think that that would be how they would build it is like you would say, yes, sure. You know, you can share with Mike that I was near Mike when, you know, when we were near each other and have it be okay. You wouldn't want that if you're like spying on somebody from behind a bush or something. That would be less good. This is one of those things where like whenever I was like, oh, of course, right? This system, of course it works, right? Because like how would airdrop from contacts only work? Like realistically, how does it do that? Yeah, yeah. You have to exchange with nearby devices and find the ones that are in your contacts. Which is fascinating. The system exists and that it's all local. Right. I wonder how that works. It must be like that there's a unique, uh, like a hash or something attached to every uh, phone number or Apple ID that uh, in that it saves in your maybe in your contacts, and then when it sees that, it knows that that's a recognized device or something like that. Yeah. I, I I wonder. I mean that. Might, it's got to work that way, right? Because you've got to be able to see the devices around you and know what they are, even if they're not in your, um, right. They're, they're not known to you. Yeah. I expect you are broadcasting your Apple ID information and, and like maybe your phone number, right? Like outwardly. It wouldn't be that though. It would be like a hash of it or something. Yeah. That's what I mean. I don't mean like so, so clearly, but. So when I add somebody to contacts in the background, Apple is also downloading their unique kind of like, blurb thing that they send out and then mm-hmm. when it sees that it goes oh i actually know that one interesting i hadn't really thought about that but yeah they've got to be doing stuff like that anyway that would be sure i mean being able to log when you were with friends and have it be kind of uh, magical sorry i guess that's a word apple would probably use yep. but the idea there that at the end of the day where you spent the day with friends to have it say you were with mike for four hours at this location you know, and then you can choose what you want to do with that. It's pretty cool. It's like your phone knows that already, but like, do you want to write that down and have it be part of the the record or not? Um, that's fun. Because for me, I feel like if they want to make this a feature, they have to find a way to do it that doesn't mean that I have to become find my friends with all of my friends. Because I, I exactly. don't think that's going to take off. But this could be the building blocks of that. 
and for people who who would uh, accuse this of being um uh, an invasion of privacy i would say when you're present around other people is it an invasion of privacy no. you're all present You've around decided other people. to be together exactly so that the physical proximity is different it's a log of your physical proximity where you already were proximate uh that's very different than i'm going to make you a find my friend and we're gonna you know i'm you're gonna see where i am forever or until the end of the day or whatever right like it's a very different kind of thing you're opting in i mean i know people can do bad behaviors here but like when when you're in the same space as somebody you know you're in the same space as somebody and so it's a, it's basically a public record i would argue mm-hmm. so I, I don't think it's that weird in fact uh yeah the only way that this works is if you don't have to add everybody to your find my right. roster or something like that uh mike hurley tip line informant number two says oh, yes about keynote so someone wrote in to ask if apple uses keynote for keynotes mm-hmm. they wrote in to say yes we do use keynote for keynotes but it is just one stage in the pipeline. Marketing bring their assets into the Keynote app. They arrange them the way that they want and export them as a video. This is then pulled into Final Cut or whatever the video team is using. And occasionally, the marketing team does still request new features that get added to Keynote so they can use them in their presentations. So it is what we expected. It's it's I, I like that we got this more or less right, right? Yeah. which is that they build it in Keynote and then they're doing an export because these final videos are a whole production and the the screen isn't there or what's on it isn't there or right like it's it, it has to be part of the movie production workflow essentially for these videos that they do, but it starts life in Keynote, which is cool that it still does that and that they still ask for new features in Keynote and that's one of the reasons Keynote is so good mm-hmm. is because it really they gets used. It by the people who make the make the product and that's yeah that's uh, that's good stuff love it thank you secret informants to the mike hurley tip line very exciting uh this one is not from my tip line ford ceo jim farley can you imagine <laughs> he's just oh, hit man. me up and Hi, Mike. Ford, Ford CEO Jim Farley has told Joanna Stern at the Wall Street Journal that Ford is going to be sticking with CarPlay. Uh, Farley mm. says, 70% of our Ford customers in the US are Apple customers. Why would I go to an Apple customer and say, good luck? In terms of content, we kind of <laughs> lost that battle 10 years ago. So like, get real with it. Because you're not going to make a ton of money on content inside of the vehicle. It's going to be safety, security, partial autonomy, and productivity in our eyes. This is such a great statement. I mean, yes. really, you couldn't craft a better statement from an auto executive who seems to actually be in touch with reality than this. Yeah. And, I, and whereas GM, I think, and we've made all these arguments before, is not in touch with reality. And that's the part, so two things I wanted to focus on here. One is, why would I go to an Apple customer and say, good luck, right? Which <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's so true, right? Which is, you're used to having this thing, but forget it. We, we You don't get it now. We've decided you don't get it now. It is baffling when apple customers are such an important part of the auto the new auto market in america mm-hmm. like what um and then the realism of in terms of content we lost that battle 10 years ago to say what we've been saying which is really like people love their smartphones and their smartphones are up to date and they've got their stuff on it and their stuff it comes from all sorts of different sources and like don't get between me and my smartphone between me and my stuff and then he says quite rightly 
okay, one, you're not going to make a ton of money on content inside the vehicle. I think there's a level of realism there that GM doesn't share. GM, with its history with things like OnStar, it's like, no, 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 no. We offer them services, and we charge them, and we get them on an annual plan, and we make it impossible to cancel it, and we, you know, it, it, and we get in with the like insurance companies to say, like, give them a break when they pay for our services, which is a thing they do, by the way, uh, with OnStar, is that they have like a deal where if you have OnStar and you're sending all of your safety information back to GM, your insurance company will give you a break on your insurance because they're looking at the data coming from your car. It's bananas, right? So like, I think maybe company culture wise, GM just isn't there. The GM really does uh, think that they've got to be making a ton of money on content inside the vehicle. And I think Ford looks at this and says, nah, it's not going to happen. And I think it's more realistic that it's not going to happen. And yet, Second, it's going to be safety, security, partial autonomy, and productivity. The stuff that needs to be on the car will be on the car. And then CarPlay is for the other stuff. And, and, and that is a really reasonable split to me. The idea that your car stuff is in the car and your entertainment stuff is on your phone. And the best car interfaces are going to have places for both, right? Which is what, the, what CarPlay already does, where there's a little entertainment spot. And then wrapped around it is the car stuff. And I think that's perfectly reasonable. Yep. It's, it's refreshing it's a and a little thing. shocking that it's so reasonable from a, a, a car industry CEO. It's amazing. This isn't really follow-up, but I'm just going to put in follow-up anyway. Uh, Apple have launched 20 new games for Apple Arcade, and there are some bangers in here. And I just wanted okay. to let people know about some of these games. So they've done what they've done before, where they've added a bunch of uh, existing hits. You know, games like Limbo and Temple Run get the plus treatment, right? It's Limbo plus, Temple Run mm. plus. But they take old hit games, remove all that purchase from them, make them compatible for all devices that are currently running, and put them on Apple Arcade. I think this is just like a fantastic way to bolster the service and like you build like a foundation. There's a bunch of just really good games in here. Um, like I'm just like scrolling through the press release now, like a, just a ton of classics that are in here. You know, they've got like, I said Limbo already, um, Hill Climb Racing, Getting Over It, Farming Simulator is in there, if that's your kind of thing. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff there, but there's also new games. Uh, they've added a few, but I wanted to recommend two that I've started playing and really enjoying. One is Disney Spellstruck. It's just Disney Scrabble. Ah, this and it's just good. It's like it's just like a good Scrabble game, and you can as you're playing it. It's like with a lot of these games, you can see where it was supposed to be in an app purchase focus game, but then Apple were like, "Hey, why don't you put it on Apple Arcade?" Because like you can get these power ups to like help you out. And they just randomly give them to you. It's like that's not uh, that's not how this is supposed to go. I was supposed to buy those, but it's great. The other one is What the Car, which comes from the same uh, people who made What the Golf. Oh man! And it is equally excellent. And I'm going to make a prediction here. This could probably be a draft prediction. But I'm just going to say it now. Uh, the the game company behind What the Golf and What the Car have made a VR game called What the Bat. And it's available on Oculus and oh. like on Quest, sorry. Yeah. And it's available on PlayStation. 100% it's going to come to this device because it doesn't. Sure. This is a game that would work perfectly with hand tracking. Your hands are bats mm. and you just have to just do things. Like you're just smashing things. So nice. this, this team, this company uh, clearly has a good relationship um, with Apple, right? Because this is now two games 
that have come to uh, arcade. Apple Arcade. And their third game is a VR game, and Apple doesn't have anywhere for that right now. And I'm convinced it's going to come to Apple Arcade when games get added to the headset. I'm frightened to try Cityscape's Sim Builder. That's my next one to try to. Because I loved SimCity so much, and I'm concerned that I will be swallowed whole by Cityscape's Sim Builder. But, I mean, if if this is the last you hear from me, know me. Know that I was, I died doing what I loved, which is apparently playing Cityscape Sim Builder. If you, uh, if you try out uh, What the Car and enjoy it, then I recommend you give What the Bat a go to. You haven't okay. meant to question. I mean, I love right? What the Golf. I love What the Golf. It was oh, great. You... I played the whole thing. What the, whole the Car thing. is incredibly absurd. I think it actually might be more absurd than What the Golf. So it's That's, great. That is hard to believe. Yeah, but it is cool. Great. great. And there's right. a lot of I'll... the game. So. I Mike, I'm still wasting all of my spare time playing Marvel Snap because of you. So oh, really? thanks I've, a lot for ruining my life. Hey, anytime. Oh God. Anytime. It's it's uh yeah. Yep. Yep. We also wanted to remind the upgradians that we do have a selection of on demand t shirts always available that you can mm-hmm. get at upgradeyourwardrobe.com. This is probably a really good time to pick up your draft shirt. We have the WWDC draft coming up pretty soon. You can get yourself the Upgrade Draft t-shirt or hoodie, um, oh, sorry, t-shirt or sweatshirt or tank top or onesie. If you know Ooh. you want to draft your baby, you could, you could do that. Yep. Uh, so you can go ahead and check those out. Oh, we do have sweatshirts and hoodies. Sweatshirts and hoodies, you can get both. Um, and that also we have uh, some upgrade logo tees available there and a rumor roundup t-shirt which i'm wearing today which is one of my very favorites it is just the lasso rumor roundup so is that upgradeyourwardrobe.com you can go and check those out and there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to go and buy yourself a very cool upgrade t-shirt this episode is brought to you by our friends at Uni Pizza Ovens. Uni oh. is the world's number one pizza oven company. They make surprisingly small ovens powered by your choice of either wood, charcoal, or gas, letting you make restaurant-quality pizza in your own backyard. Uni Pizza Ovens are incredibly easy to use and incredibly portable. They'll fit into any outside space. Uni Pizza Ovens can reach temperatures of up to 900 degrees Fahrenheit or 500 degrees Celsius, enabling you to cook restaurant-quality pizza in as little as 60 60 seconds. It is the high temperature that you need to separate the pizzas you can make in a regular oven to what you can make in an uni of your own. Uni have a wide range, a growing range of products. So they have the Uni Coda 16, which is the one that Jason has, which is a really great gas-powered uh, oven that can cook up to 16-inch pizzas. They also have now the ability for you to uh, cook inside, which you've never been able to do before, uh, with their new uh, Uni Vault electric pizza oven, which still gives all the great benefits of one of the outdoor Unis, but in an inside space as well. It really is cool. And they've done some upgrades across the line. They've got tons of really exciting stuff, which you can check out for yourself. They start at just $2.99 with free shipping to the US, the UK, and the EU. They have multi-feudal options. Really, really cool. Jason, we were talking about pizza a lot at the beginning of the episode. I know this is how you make yours. Yeah, well, actually, what I was going to say is I am very excited that the weather, well, actually, we're having a little cold and rainy weather now, even though it's May. What I do is the uni goes uh, into hibernation during the cold time, and then I bring it out during the the warm and dry time. And um, 
I'm looking forward to that because I have, although I can make a decent pizza in my oven, the fact is my oven goes up to whatever, 500, 550 Fahrenheit. And the uni pizza oven, you get it up to like 700. It comes with its own pizza stone. The base of it is a pizza stone. So that heats up. You get that really hot. So it's going to radiate out the heat and bake the bottom of the crust. And then that super hot at the top is going to melt the cheese and make everything a little bit burny and a little bit crispy, which is what you want. That's what the wood-fired fancy ovens do, is they get that hot at a level that your conventional, uh, well, conventional not in the sense of electric, but like whether it's electric or gas, that your oven in your house is just not going to do. So I'm looking forward to moving into thin, uh, burny, uh, beautiful crust uh, and it cooked in no time, so you can make like two or three different kinds with different toppings for the people who everybody's got their own topping opinion. And you can move them in and out in a, in a it's like a minute or two because it's so hot. It cooks so fast that you can also kind of mass produce pizzas. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Listeners to this show can get 10% off their purchase of an Uni Pizza oven, which could be up to $50 off of an Unicoda 16. Just go to uni.com, O O N I.com, and use the code UPGRADE2023 at checkout. When you're there, you'll also find a great range of accessories from peels to cutters to oven tables. Uni Pizza Ovens are the best way to bring restaurant-quality pizza to your backyard. Go to uni.com, O-O-N-I.com, and use the code UPGRADE2023 for 10% off. Our thanks to Uni Pizza Ovens for their support of this show and Relay FM. Money, 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 money. It's money time. It's money time. (laughs) Ching. Ching. It's Apple's Q2 2023 results. Mm. Let me give you some headlines and we'll dig into it. Okay. All right. Revenue, $94.8 billion, down 3% year over year. This is the second largest Q2 in Apple's history. Obviously, you can... Uh, you have the clues here to work out which was yes. the largest. Mm-hmm. Uh, profit was at $24.2 billion. That was down from $25 billion year over year. So like my initial read on that is like margins was good though, right? Like the, the drop in profit is not is not the same as the drop in revenue. Um, iPhone, $51.3 billion, up 2% year over year. This was a Q2 record for the iPhone. My question to you here was do you think that this is the result of some sales being pushed on from shortages in previous quarters that we had? So like there was there was some supply chain stuff, right? Do you think this may have been a push yeah. through? It's possible. I mean, they were correcting it, but they, they did suffer in the holiday quarter from having problems with the pro phones. So it's possible that that's what it is. It's not, I mean, it's basically flat, but in a quarter where everything else was down that the iPhone was able to do this, I think... It's Apple's most important product. So having them be able to do this, um, I think that you have to look into the past for trying to understand all of these results. But for the iPhone, I'm not sure how much of this is retrieved from out of the past quarter's shortages or whether it really is just that they you know, soldiered on. And yeah, so maybe the 2% is just, it's up a little bit for that. But I don't know. I don't think it was a huge thing because I think that they started to get into balance by the end of last quarter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, by the way, I just wanted to note that the change in profit is actually about the same as, 
It's, it's oh, really? about roughly three percent. So oh, okay. it's yeah, it is it is about the same. So I think margins were were although they they report their margins. I don't actually know what the margins are, but they were they were probably pretty similar. Appreciate the clarification. The Mac was at seven point two billion dollars down thirty one percent year over yep. year, making it the lowest quarter since twenty twenty. Uh, yeah, so tough I, compare, Mike. Tough, very tough, tough compare. compare. The iPad, <laughs> $6.7 billion, down mm-hmm. 13% year over year. So just flip those numbers, 31 to 13. Mm-hmm. Also the lowest sure. quarter since 2020. Services is at $20.9 billion, which is up 5% year over year. It's also growth from the previous quarter, which yep. uh, earlier in the year, late last year, that had started to dip, right? Like there was something that I was talking about a lot, was wondering what was going on there, but it seems like they're growing back again. Wearables, home, and accessories is at eight point eight billion dollars, down one percent year over year. Yeah, essentially flat. The Mac and the iPad being way down. I think the only way, like the Mac and the iPad, have both been riding really high. Mm-hmm. And I don't look at this and say, ah, now people have turned against the Mac and the iPad. Because remember, it's it's changes in in growth compared and sales compared to last year it is at a high level but not what it was last year i feel like like i have nothing in my heart that says oh no people are turning against the mac and the ipad i just don't it's very clear to look at the history here and say what happened is one the pandemic which sold a lot of computers and iPads because people were in lockdown and they're like, and they're, and work adapted and they're like, oh, geez, we need a, another computer at home or we need another tablet at home or we need to update the old thing. And, and that drove sales. And that's one reason that the iPad and the Mac have done so well over the last couple of years and that that's tailed off now. I think that there's some truth in that, that the buying cycle was kind of short circuited and now it needs to reset. And so you're going to have that, that uh, place where it's, I think the way that they often describe it um, metaphorically is that the sales were pulled forward, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That, that you took your your three years of sales and it all went in the first year and a half. And I think that there's truth in that. Um, and then for the Mac, you also had the arrival of Apple Silicon. And there was a lot of pent-up demand for Apple Silicon. Plus, those M1 Macs, especially, the reviews were so spectacularly good um, because they are spectacularly good. And a lot of people bought them. And it drove a lot of sales in addition to the fact that there were pandemic changes in how we all worked. And so the Mac, I think, has benefited from that um, twice. But, you know, the M2, again, nothing wrong with the M2. But if everybody who was waiting to buy a MacBook Pro waited for the M1 MacBook Pro to come out, then you're going to sell a lot of them. And then the next year they come out with the M2 and it's like, well, but so many people already bought the M1, so they're not going to buy the M2. And that was a high number, you know, you do the math and it's like, well, yeah, this is what you're going to see. It's yeah. going to go down because everybody was really excited about it. I, I think the Mac, like if you look at the average Mac sale, like the Mac has never been stronger. Um, I think it it will continue to be strong. I think the, this is an issue where they just have to deal with the fact that they're not going to reach those heights for a little while and they're going to have to wait for the buying cycle to catch up with them. So David in the live chat Discord, which you can get access to if you're a member, go to get getupgradeplus.com and you can find out more about that, has said, the narrative is strange to me. Apple had lots of success. Now that makes them look bad. The problem with Wall Street, which is what a lot of this is, right? They look at whatever you're doing now and they're betting on it being a trend, right? Like 
right? Because you, you cause sell it's all loads priced of max. into the stock. Exactly. Yeah. You sell loads of max. If you keep doing this, we will continue to be confident in your business to this level. But if it changes, it's going to go down. Like, right. They, they want to see growth. They always want to see growth. And mm-hmm. we can debate whether that's right or wrong, whether that's corrosive to how businesses are run. <laughs> Spoiler alert for my opinion. Yes, it is corrosive. Uh, but that's how it works. Yep. And um, and it's the same thing I always tell people like when they're like, oh, Apple released results and they made all this money and their stock went down. Why is that? And the answer is because the expectation is priced into the stock. Apple, as we expect it, is priced into the stock. The stock price is what it is because of everything we expect for Apple. So then it becomes what happens next. And if you give them, if they get growth, then that increases the future value of Apple. That increases everybody's estimation and the stock goes up. And if you say, oh, Apple's going to be flat for a while in the doldrums, then the stock will stay steady or go down, which is bad for investors. Doesn't necessarily mean it's bad for Apple as a business if it's throwing off all this profit and it's generating, uh, it's doing stock buybacks and it's generating dividends for its investors, which it is doing. And that's what, if you're a company that makes enormous profits and you're looking at your growth and saying, our growth is probably going to slow because we've been so successful for so long, this is what you do. And they identified this like, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago and just started buying back stock and doing dividends and giving essentially giving money back to the shareholders because uh, that's how you kind of counteract some of that fear of flatness is by saying, yes, but we're very profitable and you get to share in the profits. And so they've been doing a lot of that too. Mm-hmm. Tim Cook introduced a new catchphrase, the parade of horribles as a way yeah. to describe our current socioeconomic climate. Yeah, he's used a bunch. This is this is apparently something that is out there. This is this is a a, a phrasing somebody told me that that uh, you've seen in other places. But Tim Cook has adopted it, which I find funny just because it was uh, last year we had the cocktail of headwinds, which I thought had a little panache to it. The mm-hmm. cocktail of headwinds served to you by uh, Luca Maestri, the CFO, and he he would say probably an Italian cocktail of some sort. Um, full of headwinds. Maybe those are bubbles. I don't know. Um, but the parade of horribles, I think it actually sounds kind of Willy Wonka-like, right? Like, uh, oh, there's a bunch of horrible, strange monsters that are coming down. But anyway, uh, Cook used it to say uh, that, uh, yeah, there's bad stuff out there, but we're fine. <laughs> Essentially, he was like, we have the luxury box at the parade of horribles. So um, I think that that shows you how Apple has kind of gone from it saying, you know, things are bad out there and we're worried and we're concerned and we're trying to do what we can to being like, things are bad out there, but we've been fine. Mm-hmm. And so we're fine. And that is, again, like we see this covering Apple like we do and looking at, to the wider technology industry, they're in a very different position. And like, you know, we, we have a lot of, we've, uh, you know, many, many times over the years, we've spoken about the idea of like, why do they just sit on this cash? Like, what are they doing with it? Well, it probably helps them in times where all of their um, colleague companies in the industry are laying people off left, right, and center, and Apple's not doing that because they have so much money. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the truth of it. And I, I said this during the um, during 2020. Let's just say, we'll put it that way. Uh, I said, Apple actually looks a little embarrassed because they're doing so well when the world is so yeah. terrible. Yep. I feel like we're coming out of it now where they're like, yep, we we've survived we did it 
Um, and we know that bad things have happened, but we 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 feel like we're in a good a good place. And they're not gloating about it or anything, but they're able to say now, I think maybe with a little more confidence than they could back then, just because they everything was all messed up, saying, you know, we're actually in a pretty good place right now. Now, yeah. of course, a down quarter is just the time when you need the CEO to say, we feel pretty good, right? Because you mm-hmm. want to make everybody feel good. But I unless you are literally a bear investor who is out to get Apple because you want them to tank. I don't know how you look at Apple's last few years and and not rationally understand the place that this business is in, especially as we've talked about many times before, the mega cycle of the iPhone because the iPhone more than half the revenue and we know that the iPhone buying cycle is very visible because they do major revisions to the iPhone and it kicks sales and that happens every 3 years ish. Uh, we'll see what happens this fall because whatever that iPhone is, this is when we might expect a new iPhone that will drive sales. Unclear whether they're going to keep that strategy or whether they're going to kind of uh, split up the new look iPhone into multiple releases over multiple years in multiple iPhone levels, right? Because mm-hmm. they've got more iPhones that they sell now, different models. But um, yeah, hard hard not to look at Apple's last few years and say, first off, you wouldn't even tell that there was a you know, just a series of terrible economic uh, conditions as well as a global pandemic um, and that their factories got shut down. Like you couldn't even really tell and that they're in a pretty strong uh, position here. But, you know, if I were a Wall Street investor and I was worried about where Apple was going in the future and where their stock was going, I would obviously be concerned about is the iPhone going to plateau, in which case they're an incredibly profitable company, but they're not growing anymore um, or growing very slowly. Or are they going to have another kick? You know, can the can the Mac be taken up a notch? Can the iPhone still be taken up a notch? Can the iPad still be taken up a notch? And I think that there that's an open question there, which is why uh, they started talking a lot more about emerging markets. I think this time where they yeah. did better, Apple actually did better in emerging markets than they did in their existing uh, established markets, and that's that's a message that they want to send because they want to say, look, this is where the next growth spurt is going to come from. Especially when one of those emerging markets is as big as India, which is what they're talking. Exactly. They spent a lot of time talking about India. Um, they were saw some. They saw double-digit sales growth in the region. Uh, Tim Cook says India is a major focus for the company, and said, and I'll read uh, a quote from Tim: "There are a lot of people coming into the middle class, and I really feel that India is at a tipping point, and it's great to be there." And I will now read a quote from uh, Jason Smackwald article where Jason says, if this sounds familiar, it's because Cook said a lot of very similar things about China a decade ago. But when asked mm-hmm. specifically to compare the potential in India to that in China of the past, Cook demurred a politically wise decision and said, I think each country is different and has its own journey. <laughs> that emerging middle class line, I felt like I have massive flashbacks like to yeah. reading that because that was yeah. what they said for years about China. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's exactly the same words. And then when pressed to sort of like say, can you draw a parallel between China and India? He's like, mm, no, 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 no. We'll never do that. Don't no, ever no, ask no. me again. No, no, no. And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. first off, China and India don't really like each other. And they've got this thing yeah. where they're trying to diversify outside of China, including into India. Mm-hmm. And the last thing China wants to hear is Apple say, yeah, India is the next China, right? Like that you, no, 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 no. So instead he's like, everybody's on their journey together, but it's very hard not to see the parallels there where Apple is saying that in lots of uh, lots of mer- emerging markets, and they mentioned a bunch of them, that Apple did really well, like set records in the last uh, quarter. So that's what their message is. Now, 
what are the size of those markets? What's the potential of those markets? Is it just trying to get out some happy news for investors uh, when the truth is that those markets are relatively small? But it seems like India, and I would say Tim Cook's visit to India right before this cannot have been a coincidence, right? Like this is all about making the narrative about Apple right now, about potential future growth. It's kind of brilliant, assuming that this is all sort of part of a bigger plan, that Apple going to India, it's about future growth and diversification. Um, I wonder what message it does send to China, but um, Apple and China are pretty tight. So it's probably, you know, they, they China knows what Apple's doing, but I think Apple's not abandoning China. It's just diversifying. And that's the message they're sending is we want to be in China, but we're going to be in other places too. And yeah, for if you're an investor and you look at India and you say, wow, if India's middle class can skyrocket like China's can, all those people are are Apple buyers. And uh, imagine another market like China's market uh, where Apple can come in and, and has very little market share. And so there's enormous growth opportunity just by definition. So we're talking about you know looking at the overall product lines and you've got the Mac and the iPad are down. But the level like you know when we're talking about like the iphone as a as a thing and if the iphone starts to decline like this quarter was saved by the fact that the iphone was up a little bit and services were up a little bit but it was yeah. mostly because the iphone was up a little bit so this idea of if the iphone did start to significantly decline like we started to see consistent decline then the company's overall revenue declines just because right again what yes. was it 54% of the revenue in the quarter was the iphone like that's what people were looking for. So what you know, Apple want is to sell iPhones in India, and whatever it's going to take to do that. So Sava in the Discord is a listener who's in India, and they're like, "Well, the prices are going to change." And like, and we've heard yeah. of this before. Of like, and it's one of the reasons Apple's continued to push on the SE and had devices that were more price focused. And so my expectation is if apple really does consider india to be this growth market the overall pricing strategy of the iphone may have to change to accommodate that but we'll see yeah whether it's the iphone se or whether it's uh bringing down the price i mean they do have this freedom now which they have not exercised but this freedom with the iphone and the iphone pro split to make that iPhone more affordable than it's been. Yep. And what they've really done is sort of make it not really more affordable than it's been, but that the Pro one is really expensive. But mm-hmm. it does give them the ability to say, look, iPhone whatever number and sell that into markets that are not seriously going to consider the iPhone Pro. But the SE is the other way in there. And again, I, I, I've i been hearing for you know more than a decade now from people in India who are like, Apple is kidding itself because the prices are just bananas and it doesn't make sense and they're hard to get and all that. And like, sounds sounds like Apple is, is focused on India now to a certain extent. So they're going to have to find a way to figure it out, right? Yeah. I, I doubt that they're delusional about what they're going to do, but what what is that strategy going to be? And I, I don't know. I mean, I will also say though, there was there was a time when Apple trying to sell iPhones in China or computers in China was seen as a bananas kind of decision where it's like you're not gonna you're not gonna do that like you're 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 so expensive and this market can't handle it and what happened in China is that the market changed and grew and it embraced Apple and a lot of those people who now had way more money than they used to have spent some of it on Apple products. So 
I don't, that, that's where I think maybe the parallel is going to break down with India. But again, I'm sure Apple is paying more attention to it. And some of the clueless decisions they've made in the past about India are probably going to change because it's got, you know, more senior. I mean, I've heard this before. Like there's some people who are involved in Apple in certain countries where like nobody cares. And so they just sort of drift off and do their own thing. Uh, and then if Apple execs suddenly are like, no, this is a key market for us, everything changes, right? Mm -hmm. So I would imagine that that's going on with India now. Yeah. If pricing has to change, they'll change the pricing. If that's what they think will grow the iPhone. Like, the, the, we are where we are now with the iPhone being what it is, partly almost because of the China market, right? Yep. So huge. And so yep. if they can add another one of those, be very happy. I'm reading again from your article, Macworld. It's become clear that the Mac and iPad are victims of their own recent success, at least when it comes to sales trends. Both products sold well during the early days of the pandemic, and the Mac also got a huge sales boost due to the arrival of Apple Silicon. Yeah, I think we already covered this. Yeah, but it's just like, I think it's just a nice way of summing it up of like... Well, thank you. They are... It's hard to... It's that tough compare that we would talk about there was a big boost and now we're back down to a more settled level, but that settled level was higher than they were before. It's higher. That's it. I mean, that's the, that's the story with Apple in the last decade is they get these huge growth spurts followed by a year or two where there's not a lot of growth and everybody wrings their hands about it. But if you look at the numbers, you can see huge growth spurt followed by flat is establishing a whole new level for the product. And Apple has been really good at doing that. What you don't want to see is the huge growth spurt and then it goes back to where it was. But Apple has never, well, has recent times, Apple has not done that. Every time that these growth surges have happened, they've, they've reset the bar. There, there's then a new level they stay at, which means I think that suggests long-term growth opportunity continues to exist, but that people who are, uh, expecting it every quarter are, are kind of short-sighted. Last thing, this is a long quote, uh, but there was some conversations about Tim Cook in regards to AI. So this is Tim. This is Tim. Uh, I do think it's very important to be deliberate and thoughtful in how you approach these things. And there's a number of issues that need to be sorted, as is being talked about in a number of different places. But the potential is clearly very interesting, and we've obviously made enormous progress integrating AI and machine learning throughout our ecosystem, and we've weaved it into products and features for many years. You can see that in things like fall detection and crash detection in ECG. These things are not only great features, but they're also saving people's lives, and it's absolutely remarkable. And so we view AI as, as huge, and we'll continue weaving it into our products on a very thoughtful basis. Mm -hmm. this to me felt really similar about the ways that tim would start talking about ar right of like yeah we think this is really important and we're going to keep working on this like i feel like this is as you would naturally assume would be a front that apple's going to continue to try and do more on and at the moment i think they are in with you know with how much he went into detail here is it clearly a prepared idea uh, they want to, I think, maybe try and turn the tide on the impression that they don't know what they're doing in this field, where they yeah. can talk about, look at all these things that are shipping with what 
this AI actually is, which is just advanced machine learning. It's not artificial intelligence. I, I really wish that we that that wasn't what we decided to call it, right? AI. Right. It's all just machine learning. It's ML. Yeah. And Apple has been doing machine learning for a long time, and they're good at it with the things that they're doing. But the problem is what we consider to be conversational machine learning, which is now what we think of as chatbots. They're not so good. Right. They're not doing a chatbot, which. Right, like well, Siri. I mean, mean, like Siri, you have a conversation with, yes. right? Like, that, that's kind well, of you what don't. I meant. Well, yes, <laughs> that's the problem. But well, yes. you do with twenty people. Twenty people you talk to. We know this now. So, I think this is the perfect answer to give if you're Tim Cook, because what it says is, yes, there's a lot of potential. We're being deliberate and thoughtful, right? He says, I think it's very important to be deliberate and thoughtful. Translation: We're being deliberate and thoughtful. Um, there are issues that need to be sorted out and we're, you know, it's being talked about. Like it's controversial. We know that too. Then it shifts gears and he says, he says, yes, it's very interesting, but we are already doing this. So now it's, he's sending the message. Like we have made enormous progress already in our ecosystem throughout. And he uses the phrase that I, I, I kind of appreciated. We've weaved it into products and features for many years, right? The point here is like, we're already doing this. And I, in conversations about this, I keep bringing this up too. People are like, oh, Apple's behind. They haven't done any AI. And it's like, all the object detection in photos is AI. It's ML, right? All the sensor uh, processing and fault detection and crash detection in activity monitoring on the Apple Watch. There's machine learning models there. The ECG apparently is using machine learning models as well. Like Apple has built a lot of machine learning models in, in a lot of places. What they haven't done is built it into Siri. And they haven't released a beta chatbot on the web. And so then they're accused of being behind. It's like, maybe they're behind. But I'm not sure we've got enough evidence to suggest that. And that's what Tim Cook is saying here. It's like, we've been on this for a long time, but we're being careful and we're putting in places where it makes sense. Now, is he throwing shade a little bit? Uh, yes. Is he doing that because it's an area of weakness for him? Maybe. I mean, maybe, or maybe there's some amazing thing behind the scenes that we don't know about, but we don't have the evidence for that. So, so we'll say maybe, maybe he's, he's running down the stuff that's out there that where Apple's behind, but pointing out all the other places where Apple has, is using this and is weaving it into their ecosystem, which is one step away from the only Apple can do this, right? Which is we have hardware, we have software, we have our own processors that we design and we weave AI and machine learning throughout our ecosystem. Instead of just, re- you know, releasing a chatbot. That's yeah. sort of what he's saying here. Yeah. Um, and then he pivots from that back to, we think it's huge. We'll continue weaving on a thoughtful basis, which is his last little poke of like, we know this is controversial. We are also skeptical about the issues here. You know, look at us. We, we do it carefully, but we are doing it. Don't get upset. Don't get uh, afraid. It's masterful. Like, whether you believe it or not, like, whether you believe that, I mean, I think that what he says is factual, but there's that whole underlying question, which is, yeah, but, like, Siri is a good example. Like, but you haven't woven it into Siri, really? And we've seen what happens when you start start having something that's sort of Siri-esque, but uses this tech, and you haven't done it yet. So where is that? And maybe the answer is they're still working on it, but it's close. And maybe the answer is they've tried it and failed, and it's a disaster. He's not going to say that. But like that's what's on people's minds. But I think he did as well with this question as you could possibly do uh, from the perspective of being the CEO of Apple. I feel like 
from my layman's view, they have done a good job of what is the fundamentals here, which is very large data sets and being able to draw information from them, right? Because that's what a large language model is, right? But they just don't have a shipping machine learning large language model thing. Yeah. But they are, I mean, you know, they're doing tons of stuff that their competitors are doing. They're doing a very good job in some cases and they're doing it all on device, right? So like photo recognition stuff, um, being able to search for things in photos. I'm sure that live text is another example of this, right? So like all of these little pieces of information that come from the ability, their abilities in machine learning, plus the fact that they create their own silicon, which has machine learning processes on it. Like if they're able to line the pieces up, I can imagine that they can have that point on a presentation sometime that you just said of like only Apple can do this. Uh-huh. But they've got to do it. But I think so what is telling to me here is they were willing to answer the question meaningfully. And to me, this feels very prepared. Like to mention oh, yeah. fall detection, crash detection, and ECG, like those three specific features out of everything you could have mentioned, like they're really good ones. And I think it shows that they're considering it and like if they're considering it and they're willing to engage with it and talk about like it's huge and you know there's a lot of promise here it feels like that they've they've got their eye turned towards it at least i don't know if shannon cross who asked this question um who used to be out on her own and now works for credit suisse she's been doing this a long time she's been on apple calls as long as i can remember i don't know whether apple said Somebody from Apple nudged her and was like, you should ask them about AI or not. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Yeah. Certainly they, they Apple wanted was ready with this response. <laughs> yeah. Figuring <laughs> somebody would ask about AI, yeah. right? Certainly. Yeah. Because this is, a, again, this is a setup. It's a perfect setup. I think Tim Cook's answer is very much put together and exactly what needs to be said here. And then we all can judge whether it's entirely, I mean, everything they do on this call is a self-serving statement. That's the whole point of it. One of it. Really? Yeah. But I think this was handled very well, portrays things. Really, the goal here is to say, we recognize that this is controversial. We also agree with everybody who thinks this could change the world. We have shipped lots of stuff that uses this and have for a long time. So don't portray us as being behind. And we're still on it. Next, right? Like that's that's exactly what apple wants to say here and then the question is just is he saying that while he's hiding a decaying you know siri team behind him or is he saying that knowing that they've actually got more stuff that people don't know about that is going to be great and i don't i don't know i don't know which one of those it is but also i like i like tying like a different thread through what you said of like oh we we know it's controversial we think and and you know people believe it could change the world but the things he decided to speak about were the things that save people's lives. Yep, that's true. So, like, we believe it can be helpful. Like, what he's right. saying to me there is, like, we believe that the ways that we will use this technology is the way we have been and will continue to will have meaningful effect on the world as opposed to just, like, doing a Google search. The headline is, very important to be deliberate and thoughtful. Yeah. That's the message, right? Which is, we are deliberate and thoughtful. Here are some examples. They didn't. He doesn't mention photos, by the way, right? Because no. he really is leaning into things that'll save your life. Because AI can save your life. Great. Um, and then thoughtful. 
he's not only saying this is why you don't see us out there with stuff right now. We we do stuff, but like when you're saying where's Apple's chatbot, this is why we're deliberate and thoughtful. We agree with all the people who are critics who are like, oh no, what's this going to be? It's like yes, it's valuable, but you got to think about it. And then it's also taking a shot at the people and, and at competitors who are like just throwing stuff out there and saying, is this what we want? You know, is this the right way to do it? And again. If you're in a position where you don't have that, that is the right thing to do is <laughs> is to throw shade at that stuff. But it's also the right thing to do if you've got something in the works that you think is better. Like I I, I don't think we can really detect from this where the state of uh of other machine learning projects are at Apple, but it's the right answer to give to say we're there, but also we're better than you because we're being more careful and, and thoughtful. I it's a great answer. Great PR. I know this is what I want, right? Like I am intrigued and concerned in equal measure, sometimes more concerned about some of these AI tools. I would like the largest companies that are involved in this stuff to actually be really thoughtful and not just fast, right? Which I think is some of the problems we're falling into right now. I think Microsoft and Google are just trying to be quick in some cases uh, to be the best rather than necessarily thinking about what is best for their users and for people at large. And so I hope that Apple will continue down that train, especially because they're the products that I use the most. Like when it comes to me, uh, that's what I want to see. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. You may have heard that you should be using a VPN when you want to connect to the internet, but adding an extra step to doing this every single day or every single time you might need one Sounds like a hassle. But let me tell you, it is so easy to protect your connection with ExpressVPN. You should just be doing it already. It is the easiest way to browse safely, securely, and better. I use ExpressVPN in two distinct places. When I'm traveling and I'm connecting to Wi-Fi networks that are unprotected or I don't know much about them and just would prefer not to have to have that worry, or two, when I want to be able to watch my content when I am traveling or when I'm here and I want to watch content from other regions, I could do that so simply. And ExpressVPN makes this so incredibly easy. It's blazing fast. Other VPNs may slow your connection down to the point where it's not worth connecting. I've had this before, before I found ExpressVPN. But ExpressVPN doesn't lag or buffer. You can stream HD with no issues. And that is awesome, right? I want to be able to do that when I'm watching video. It couldn't be easier to use as well. You just open the ExpressVPN app, click one button, and enjoy instant protection across all your devices. I love it on my Mac. It just lives in the menu bar. I just tap it, and I can connect. Or I can even change where I want the location to be routed through, all from the menu bar app. The fact is, once you connect to ExpressVPN, you don't even realize you have it on. Your connection is secure, your data is encrypted, and you can even spoof your location so you have access to content available outside your region. And I know many times I've been home for multiple days from my travels and I'm still connected to ExpressVPN because I wouldn't have otherwise known. This is one of the reasons why ExpressVPN has been called the best VPN by outlets like CNET and others. Right now, go to expressvpn.com upgrade and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That is expressvpn.com upgrade to get three extra months of ExpressVPN. That is one last time, expressvpn.com upgrade. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for the support of this show and all of RelayFM. It is time for some Ask Upgrade questions to finish out today's show. The first one comes from Ramon. 
Ramon again. Ramon is back. Ramon, yes. And says, or is it a different one? Maybe one was Ramon and one was Ramon. Who could tell? You know what I I don't know. Anyway, last week's discussion of the rumors of changes to the upcoming health app made me wonder. Right, so this is like the idea of more data, more processing, all that kind of stuff. Should we be concerned about Apple gathering so much of our data to grow their services business as we've been with Google in the past? Is the on-device argument enough to give them a pass? It's complicated. This is complicated. Mm -hmm. I would say I don't think Apple gathering data... I think that there is a functional difference between Apple building a profile of us on our device that is with us at all times. And I, it is it is complicated, right? Because I feel like, first off, the on-device argument is mostly about um, we don't need to pass all of your data up into our servers in order for us to know stuff about you. And I think that that's good. And I think that that's a separate thing. Um, there's that commitment to privacy the idea that we don't we don't need to upload all your photos onto iCloud in order for us to analyze them and tell you whether there are dogs in them or whatever, right? Which is, I think, the right thing to do. So I'm less concerned about like, ah, yes, but now you're looking at that data on device and also you've got on-device algorithms that are going to drive me into on-device purchases of services. Like, I'm concerned about Apple pushing services on me that are really things that are just software features. And I went into a whole rant about this last week. The The personal data that is being analyzed on devices is, is not part of my concern about it, I guess would be my answer. I, I, I feel like maybe this is, it's interesting, but I think this is a conflation of things that I don't think need to be conflated. Mike, what do you think? I think it's complicated. I think it becomes yeah. more complicated because of the phrasing of Ramon's question to include Google in the discussion. Because as soon as you invoke Google or Amazon when talking about this stuff, people's brains go into a route, which is like yep. they are going to take my information and sell it to advertisers. Like so if you brought Meta into this conversation, right? And right. you know, a lot of people I think have a fundamental misunderstanding of the way that some of this stuff works. Like people some people believe, and I think most of our listeners would know this, but like some people believe that like Meta and Google just give your phone number out to companies, right? Yeah. But it's but that's, not, like that's that. not what they do because no. they want they want to build a business where you have to come to them to buy access to the to yeah. uh demographics. And so they don't share that information. They keep it within Google or yes. wherever. Well, within Meta. The only people that know that information are in theory the companies you're giving your information to like they're not right spreading it out past that but right they're using it they to use sell it. ads mm-hmm. that other people buy mm-hmm. but they're keeping a company confidential so you're being you know access to you is being sold your data i mean there are places where there are data brokers and there are apps that are leaking information and all that but generally with these companies like google and meta it is the crown jewels, right? Yeah. Is that data? They don't want to give it away. They want to set a premium price for you to have access to the knowledge that they've got about you. So they're selling. In the end, it can still make you feel just as gross. But just let's be clear: they're not selling your data; they're selling access to you. 
Mm-hmm. Is that better? It's not. Right? I think it's not. It, it, it it's, it's better, a little it's better, but it's still it's different. It, yeah, right? right. It still should probably give you pause, but it's not the same as saying, "Would you like to know everything?" Google is not, I believe, saying, "Hey, I've got all this information I built about Jason. I've got a dossier. Would you like to buy it?" Instead, it's like, "Would you like to reach people who are like Jason because I know who they are?" Yeah. And then you have to pay to get access to them. Personally, I am fine with that. Like me, like I'm fine with that. But like I know, I know that different people have different feelings about it. But I feel like if you really don't like that, don't use the services. Like it seems pretty simple to me. Like if you really yep. hate the meta, do that. Just don't use Facebook. Like it's yeah, anyway. That is not the conversation we're having. But my point is like it's not that different, really. Like fundamentally, what's going on here? Because what Apple is doing is saying, "Give us all of your information, and we'll do what we do with it." And while we may not be selling it to other companies, we're still using the fact that we have your information to sell you things, whether it's the next Apple Watch, a serve like Fitness Plus or like whatever. So like realistically, it's just because Apple doesn't have the business model that Meta and Google do. Let me see if I can draw a line here. If Apple were, and I don't think Apple will do this, but if Apple were to say, we've analyzed your health data on your device, and oh boy, you really need to um, get healthier. Sign up for our service where we let you get healthier. Sign up for Fitness Plus or whatever. How far away I, are we from I, something I, like that happening? Well, realistically? here's here's the thing. I I don't think Apple will cross that line because so so comp- contrast that with Apple just says, hey, we've got a new service where we look at your health data. And we and then and it's wrapped into Fitness Plus or it's a different service because we don't know. This is just a rumor that we uh, are talking about. But this question of like, is it a service? Is it part of Fitness Plus? Is it something different? I think that there that is actually a pretty strong dividing line, which is, is Apple looking at our data on our device and then using it to sell us things? Or is Apple just selling us things because we are who we are? And it, and does it matter? Because then the next question is, does it matter that Apple's analyzing our personal data for marketing purposes for its own products on our device? Uh, does it matter that it's on our device at that point if, no. they're, if they're doing that analysis? And what I would say is, I think this is the lesson learned by the, um, the CSAM scanning that was going to go on and that got canned, that was going to go on when your device was about to upload something to iCloud, where it was using... It's algorithm to scan your photo to see if it was child sex abuse material before it got uploaded to iCloud. And everybody was like, what do you mean there's a cop on my phone now? Mm-hmm. And Apple's like, oh, uh, yeah, uh, back, backing off, right? So that's what I would say here is if Apple's just doing what it does, which annoys people to no end, right, which is marketing its services to you. Hey, we added some features to Fitness Plus. Isn't that awesome? You should sign up. Uh, or if you're already a Fitness Plus member, you should opt into this and we'll analyze your data and give you tips. And you say, yes. What they can't do, I think, is look at your data and then market it to you, right? Like, I think that's where I would draw the line is I don't want you saying, hey, you've got a problem and we're the solution and we know it because we've seen your data on this iPhone. But like they do this with App Store ads though, right? Yep, the App Store is not your health data that's on your device. The App Store is in the cloud. Right, but it's still only a step. My my point is, if Apple continue pushing into advertising, which it seems like they are, right? There has been like, they are just trend. They're going into advertising further and further. Where does it stop? Like, 
My point is that I agree with you that these things will be bad. I'm just not confident that they won't do them because they're a company that we've just spoken about their earnings report and the services push. Like, nothing sent is a line and they'll be like, well, we're going to start recommending to customers. We don't know who they are because it's all on device, but we're going to start making these recommendations to people like, hey, why don't you check out this right. activity on Fitness Plus? So that's that's the question is, what if App Store, I mean, this is not the question that Ramon asked, but let's go down that path, which yeah. is, what if Apple's App Store ads stopped being based on your cloud and iCloud and, and Apple ID data, stuff that Apple has on its servers that it knows about? And what if it started being that all your ads in the App Store were based on on-device behavior, right? Let, let's just walk down that path. So it doesn't, on your device, your, your device could theoretically know what's on a home screen versus an app library. How often do apps get launched? What are those apps? How often are you using particular kinds of apps? And then all on device, it goes, oh, wow, Jason is playing Marvel Snap a lot on his iPad. What are other apps we could push at him that are like Marvel Snap? Because he's playing that one a lot, which is probably more than Apple has off device, right? I mean, maybe not. It depends on device metrics and all that, but they don't seem to be using that level of data to sell me things up in the app store. So let's just go with it for a moment. Like, does that cross the line where it's like, well, wait a second, what apps? I feel like this about TikTok, honestly. It's one of the things that repels me about TikTok is that if you pause and don't do anything to indicate I like this video, but you watch a lot of it or watch some of it, TikTok will be like, gotcha, mm -hmm. and log it. And that's what it does. It's watching your behavior, not your chosen, I am going to say I like this, but literally like, yeah, you said you didn't like it, but you watched it for 40 seconds. So we know you liked it, right? This is that kind of thing, which is my iPhone is now watching all of my behavior and using it to build a profile all on device, all on device. But it's using that and they build an algorithm so that now they can advertise to me more effectively. I I doubt they would do that. I would have a problem with it, but I also see your point, which is can you really you know, can you imagine a scenario where Apple continues down this path while searching for advertising revenue and services revenue? And I would say I can envision it, but I feel like we've already learned some lessons about when people start to push back on what happens on device. When on device goes from being a privacy feature to being a surveillance feature, that's when it all falls apart. And I'm not sure Apple really wants to go down that path because they use on device as a shield to say, we do things on device and it's that means it's safer for you. And if they muddy the waters by saying, no, no, actually on device is spying, which it was sort of with the CSAM detection thing where, I mean, it's a, we talked about it last year. It's a detailed argument. It's very complex. But the idea was people walked away thinking there's a cop on my phone, right? Like the last thing you want is to say, Apple is spying on me. Everything I do on my phone, Apple is watching and turning it into a product. All on device, but still turning me into a product. Like I think people would really resist that. And I think Apple would probably not stoop to that. But it's worth considering because like the technology's there. You could do it. I agree with you. That that situation that you've painted, if they did that, that would be terrible. I just feel like sometimes some of their ad stuff and like the um app tracking transparency stuff, like I had kind of a problem with that at the time. I still continue to, because it hasn't really 
changed anything <laughs> like yeah uh, except like it's it's made things maybe smaller for harder for smaller companies to try and do tracking right. well, i think it's made things harder for facebook but you're right it's also made things harder for anybody who is trying to use facebook yeah. to in to reach people with their advertising but like in facebook's most recent earnings they kind of seem to be like that's oh, good now like we saw it <laughs> it's like oh <laughs> they've, they've worked out their own thing, like whatever this is now to try and work out the segmentation again. My point is like Apple does a bunch of segmentation stuff. They they do all the same things, right? Like they're, they're not for like purchases and how they recommend ads. And they, they like, they put you into a bucket and they look at that bucket and they sell these buckets and all that kind of stuff. So I, my concern is that, as you say, like the on-device stuff is a shield. Hopefully they don't ever try and put ads behind that shield. But I do feel like from a fundamental level, they are still using your data or to sell things to you. They just sell different things. Yeah. They're not, they're not selling your, your information for necessarily for people to advertise to you unless it's apps. Right? They're doing a similar kind right. of thing there. And a lot of the information that you put that's on device is weirdly used as like a lock-in to sell you more of their own products anyway. So it's all kind of comes down to what companies you feel most comfortable with. I feel most comfortable with Apple and giving them all of my information. Like I am most comfortable with them. But the idea that they are like fundamentally different from anyone else doesn't necessarily pass with me because ultimately... It's still the same, or it's still just your data. They're just using it to sell to you differently. And then you maybe you're just happy with that different. This is the, yeah, the, this taking a step back, the point here is that Apple has data that it's using to profile you and sell things like App Store ads, right? And 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 while Apple's business is different, it's not that different, right? It's the it's a thing you and I have talked about a lot, which is like there's there's a lot of reflexive ooga booga, scary boogeyman stuff about Google and Facebook and Amazon and like and and it's true their business models do require a level of profiling and surveillance that maybe Apple's business model doesn't, but. App tracking transparency in a way is just a self, although it's a privacy thing, that's how it's sold. What it really does is say, well, you should only collect data as a first party and Apple is the first party. And so Apple, because it runs the app store, knows everything about your app store behavior and they use that to sell ads. So although it's different than Google and Facebook, not that different. It's not that different. It's 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 different, but it's not as different as you might think. And you need to go in with your eyes open. I guess I would just say, I think there's a point at which it goes from being, you know, we're using your data that you do on our servers to do ads. In, you know, you're, we're using your app store data to u- do ads in the app store. Mm-hmm. is different. It's way different from the idea that like we're watching all your behavior on your iPhone Definitely. and we use that for an array of different products. Yes. So I, I and, and I don't think they'll get there, but I think it's also important to point out that on-device isn't necessarily a panacea. That 
on-device could potentially go from being this shield of we don't want to process all your photos unless you upload them to iCloud. You know, we don't we don't want to see them and we're going to do things end to end, which means that it's going to be has to be on your device. And like, that's all good. But you can flip that over and say, we've built stuff to spy on you for our profit and put it on your device. And that's that's the danger of that. So it's yep. something for all of us to watch. Because as you mentioned a minute ago, they got very close to we built something to spy on you so we didn't have to worry about it. <laughs> right. They got super close to that. So it wasn't inconvenient for us. We yes. made it inconvenient for you. And and the um I should point out when, I, when we talk about App Store, we should say, keep in mind this is literally the only app store you can use, yes. right? So they, they're using their power to say, we know everything about all software buying behavior in, on our platform, everything. And if you don't like that, it's not like photos where you can be like, no, I don't want to use iCloud photo library. And you still get those scanning features and it all still works because it's on device. With the app store, you have no choice okay. but to be in their system. And it's a system where they're making money on ads. So I I mean, I think App Store ads are offensive. And this is one of the reasons I think they're offensive mm-hmm. is because you can't really escape it. And they degrade the user experience and they know everything you've bought so that they can customize those ads. Including in-app purchases. So at the point where yes. you as a person have become a customer of another company and are buying things within their app... Apple knows that information and uses that information to make more ads for you. Right. And doesn't consider you a customer of another company. No. They consider that purchase an Apple purchase, right? That's part yeah. of it too. It's like, it's all still first party because an in-app purchase in somebody's app is still an app, a purchase through Apple. So you're still Apple's customer as far as they're concerned. And that's part of the, that's part of the story. There's a lot here. I, I don't entirely agree with the, the, with Ramon's take, but I appreciate him having us explore this because I think that there's a lot of really interesting potential here. Yeah. I think Ramon is just concerned, right? And I get that concern because yeah. I think Quite about right. it a lot. Right. On device, I love the, does the on device argument uh, give them a pass? And I think the answer is no, that on device can be can be used for good or evil, right? And that's something that we all need to watch. And I think, again, I think maybe Apple learned that lesson in the reaction to the CSAM scanning. I think maybe Apple r- realized there are some things that if you do it on device, it, it it blows their whole on-device argument and they need to not do that. But you never say never. You know, you get a vice president somewhere who's being given a, an incentive to maximize revenue and they have enough pull to get a feature installed that does something like never say never. But I, I, I'm skeptical that they'll, they'll go down that path because I feel like maybe they learned a mm-hmm. valuable lesson from this. But it doesn't change their business model in other places. Yeah. Chris asks... Do you think Apple's headset will have a cellular connection or will it just be on Wi-Fi? Uh, this one, Wi-Fi. Yeah. Long-term cellular, right? Yes. Because long-term, you're going to want to do mixed reality and you're going to be out there. But in this one, it's just going to be Wi-Fi, right? Like, Because this is an inside thing. And I think Apple considers inside spaces Wi-Fi spaces. If you're in the hotel, you might have to log in with your browser in VR, <laughs> put in your room number or whatever. But like, I, I think... Um, I think in the long run, obviously, it's going to have to be cellular, but not in the short run. Mm. You can have one of those, like, you know, those you're in hotels and you have that, like, pop-up thing, you put your room number in? It's massive. 70 foot, right, in your view. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you've got to climb yeah, up onto little the box. field. Little smash box. the button, type it in. Uh-huh. Yep. 
If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on this show, as you can tell, they could be very different. <laughs> you could ask us anything. Go to UpgradeFeedback.com and you can send us in a question there. And of course, you can find a link to that in the show notes if you would like to. And you can send us in questions for Ask Upgrade, for Snow Talk, and anything else. Maybe you have follow-up. Maybe you have feedback about the show. Maybe you want to be one of Mike Hurley's tip line informants. You can go to UpgradeFeedback.com and send that information in. If you want to check out Jason's work and see all of his wonderful charts that he's been generating over the last week, you can go to sixcolors.com. You can also hear Jason's podcasts at theincomparable.com and here on Relay FM, where you'll also find my shows. You can check out my other work at cortexbrand.com. You can find us on Mastodon. Jason is at jsnell on zeppelin.flights. You can find me as at imike on mike.social. And you can find this show as at upgrade on relayfm.social, which is one of the three places currently that you can see clips of this show. You can also watch them on TikTok and Instagram. We are Upgrade Relay on both. I've got to say, I'm coming around. Mm. I've come around on this. I really like the clips. Mm. Clips are good. Mm. I'm enjoying them. Uh, thank you to our members who support us with Upgrade Plus. Thank you to ExpressVPN and Uni for their support of this episode. But most of all, thank you for listening, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Everybody enjoy your pizza. Pizza.